Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Reformed Podmatics, episode 44. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And I just want to start off by asking you, Mark, how have you been? (laughs) The last few weeks for us have been interesting. We've been a little bit in and out of of ripping. And so what have you been up to and what have I been up to recently? We recorded (laughs) two, I think, episodes 41 and 42 about a month ago, it seems now. Yeah. And uh, sort of scheduled their release while we were gone in various places and then um episode uh, 43 we got right between trips that uh mm-hmm. you and i were taking so i was at disney world from uh may 31 to june 9 with my family in florida so there were 20 of us um my sister her family my brother his family my parents my children so we have we have four children so 20 of us we filled a whole boat in pirates of the caribbean so <laughs> Um, that was a lot of fun actually. And, uh, had a really great time in Florida. So, um, got back. Yeah. How was the weather there in Florida? Yeah, it was. So it's really dry here and Mm -hmm. it was very humid there. And so was it raining there at all when you were there? It rained really hard one day, but that's it. Okay. So, um, we had a, a really, we had really good weather in terms of rain, but it was very hot, very warm. And, uh, the mask mandate was still there in Disney. Uh, mm-hmm. outdoors we did not have to wear masks but mm-hmm. whenever you walk inside a building you had a mask on so that got a yeah. little bit old in the humid heat but uh overall oh, that is a first world problem and <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun at disney world so how about yeah. you yeah well just thinking about florida it's uh you know i'm i'm glad i'm not there right now <laughs> it's I, I lived there for three years and so uh yeah it's a, it's a tough place to be when the humidity oh. creeps up and so yeah, having gone to RTS Orlando, I know all about it. Uh, but yeah, I just got back this week from summer camp. We took our group, our youth group, with a few other uh, local CRCs here from the Central Valley. Uh, we went to Colorado, to Estes Park, to the YMCA of the Rockies, where a ministry called Reformed Youth Ministries uh, leads a camp. And so it was just a one a one-and-done sort of thing where... Uh, we normally go to camp here on the coast in Santa Cruz um, for our sort of denominational mm-hmm. camp. It's kind of the camp of our classes, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so because Santa Cruz County is sort of shut down still to student camps, uh, we had to come up with a different game plan. So we <laughs> pooled our resources and decided to go to Colorado. Uh, and it was actually a really good experience. We I think we had a really good time. I did at least, and I think most of our students did. And the speakers were really great. Um, yeah, I actually bumped into a friend from seminary while <laughs> I was there. So that was really fun. Nice. Getting to catch up with him. And so, yeah, sort of back in the saddle now. And uh, <laughs> we'll be back to, to normal life here for a few weeks before. I think we both go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> on again, the same week. <laughs> sure. Uh, in, in July. Yeah. So anyways, today we are here to talk about uh, polemicism. That's the uh, the 
the, the topic of discussion for today. And this is maybe an opportunity for us to look in the mirror a little bit mm-hmm. uh, with our own tradition and to think about uh, where we are in the in the grand scheme of things within the Christian church and sort of the approach that we take. Um, so maybe you've never heard this word polemic or polemics um, or polemical polemicism. So you may be wondering, what does it mean to be uh, to to talk about polemics. Well, the word polemics derives from the ancient Greek word polemikos, which means warlike or hostile. And so it's sort of uh, an overly embattled sort of engagement in conversation where the conversation goes from being maybe a friendly conversation of disagreement to being uh, a sort of uh, militaristic sort of conversation where it's a, it's a, uh, a fight. It becomes a real argument uh, not just a, a discussion. And so we think that this is something that has that can be true, I think, for our tradition more than many others. I think mm-hmm. that the Reformed tradition, especially being a, a minority position in our part of the world, in the U.S., can take very, very often an overly aggressive stance uh, toward Christians of other persuasions or towards the the culture more more broadly, and so we want to talk a little bit today about about this issue within our own tradition and what we might do uh, in response to it as Reformed Christians in the twenty first century. Yeah, a a polemical person is somebody who seems like they're always looking for an argument, or a polemical mm. pastor is a pastor who is is going to sort of stand in the pulpit, seeing the world as a battleground. Mm. Um, and to some extent it is, the Bible confirms to us that the world is a spiritual battleground, and yet the polemical person will focus on that argumentation, sort of the uh, confrontational aspect of Christianity, perhaps to an extreme. So um, this happens occasionally, you know, a chapel message at, Ribbon Christian or uh, a sermon that I would listen to um, mm. would really almost sound more like a rant than mm-hmm. something that is really going to build the faith of people who are listening, um, help them to trust God is in control. God is good. God mm-hmm. is gracious towards us. He loves us. Um, polemical people don't smile very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't, they take everything so seriously that. Um, yeah, like I said, sermons sound more like rants than yeah. than like um, yeah. sort of a, a careful exposition of the word, which will hopefully include uh, something winsome, something uh, helpful mm-hmm. uh, towards the people who are listening instead of just kind of making everybody into a soldier for the cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, often you see these sorts of pastors who are they're often preaching to the choir, in yeah. my opinion. They often find themselves in churches that agree with them, mostly, and so they can sort of confront boogeymen and, and make straw men of people that they don't like um, and really bring them down. Uh, their, their sermons sort of get them pats on the back. Uh, and Instead of actually bringing the word to their people where it's going to conflict with their people's sins so their mm. their ways of living their ways of thinking and and causing people to be confronted with their sin and then also to receive the grace of god often yeah the, the sort of people who are more bent toward polemical discussions have an agenda and they are 
just looking to pick a fight with everyone that they possibly can. And often what we what I would say is that these these people tend to be fundamentalist in their outlook. Yeah. And we've talked about fundamentalism before, but there w- would be a sort of brashness, uh, a, an arrogance, a, an air of being uh, way too certain for their position as if uh, their, their position on any given issue even on things that are of lesser importance, mm-hmm. uh, any any sort of budging from that would be a uh, mm-hmm. cause for them to really question all of their faith. Yeah. Uh, and for anyone who in their group questions those sort of beloved pet doctrines, uh, there would be a lot of suspicion of that person. Uh, there would be a, a, a lot of untrust um, toward that person. And so we, we, we do see this, I think, in our reformed tradition and that's those this is why we want to cover this in reformed podmatics in this episode is because if we're honest uh, our our reformed faith is pretty good at polemics sometimes Mm. it's too good Mm. and i think even you could probably listen back to our catalog of episodes and and maybe think yeah i think zach and mark got a little too polemical there sure um and that that could be possible and so we want to be uh, honest with this we want to be able to acknowledge it in in ourselves and in our our sort of reformed tradition our camp of calvinist theology well it seems like the pendulum swings on this um so the christian reformed church of i i imagine i wasn't alive yet but the 1950s 60s 70s was a very polemical hmm. kind of theologically like we stand on these theological points and this Mm. is like kind of part of our identity. And then the pendulum swung from that. Um, It's definitely my understanding that at the seminary, at Calvin Seminary, it swung from that to Mm. more of an openness, softness. Um, They will teach certainly Reformed theology Mm -hmm. and uh, apologetics from a Reformed perspective, but let's not be too sure. Let's not uh, sound so callous or aggressive mm-hmm. about these theological things. And so the, the pendulum swung from really an era of declaration and sort of just proclaim the truth yeah. to into an era of sensitivity and mm-hmm. um, I would say kind of softness mm-hmm. about um, maybe even some very important theological matters. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we have gotten more polemical in various episodes of this, our episode on Roman Catholicism, on uh, the charismatic movement, um, various ethical sorts of things that we've gotten into, um, you know, women's ordination this past uh, episode. Mm -hmm. But hopefully we have engaged in what we might call soft polemics, where uh, we recognize there is disagreement, there is to some extent a battleground of ideas in our world, um, but as Pastor Zach and I mm. approach these matters, we we really hope to maintain an ironic, hopefully a peacemaking, peacekeeping mm-hmm. uh, attitude towards Roman Catholics, Charismatics, women pastors, um, you know, some of these other uh, sects, you might say, mm-hmm. of Christianity. Like, um, I think you can often tell a, a purely polemical person by just how much love you would sense from that person. Like, hmm. is there grace in this person's life? Mm-hmm. Is there, is the presence of Christ there? Is this person really a peacemaker? Are they humble? Are they hungering and thirsting for righteousness or are they just yeah. hungering and thirsting to be right? Yeah. Uh, 
at times we, I'm sure we've fallen into that sin of just wanting to be right. Um, But uh, at the same time, it is good to be right. And it is good to sort of work these things out, sort them out in conversation and to hold to a theology that we believe is as pure as, as we can, we can get. Yeah. I think you, you touched on a lot of really important things there. When we think about polemics, we don't want to say we're against polemics. There is a time and place for very polemical sorts of conversations to be taking place, debates. Jesus, um, Paul, and to be Peter. To, yeah, to be able to say the things that Jesus and Paul say yeah. requires that well, that one would be able to fight uh, theologically, mm-hmm. to stand up against falsehood, uh, and to reject falsehood, and to do so very, very forcefully. Um, we see Paul very often talking, warning about false teaching, mm-hmm. infiltrating the church. And so we need to take those warnings very seriously. But if we live our lives just constantly feeling like we're the watchdogs um, on the high tower waiting for (laughs) any moment that that bad teaching is going to slip in and we just have to be ready to eradicate it at a moment's notice, uh, that's probably not a healthy way to live. Maybe (laughs) uh, at certain moments in time we will need to be more vigilant, but we we can't just make Christianity all about defending the faith um, constantly. We have to be promoting something. And so we have to find the right balance. And we have to know through wisdom, through godly wisdom, when is a time to to build and to plant and to uh, promote growth. And then when is a time to defend? When is a time to stand strong? And there are some, I think, in the Reformed tradition that, especially today, modern Calvinists... uh, have become known for being overly polemical uh, and and overly certain and overly arrogant. And so a lot of times when people go, go searching oh. of for Reformed theology, especially when they want to see how their, their tradition compares to Reformed theology, <laughs> they'll find YouTube videos of certain voices who sort of, I don't know, their whole work, their whole ministry is about polemics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they find these sort of um, tough-nosed, discernment blogger-ish sort of people. Uh, and so the, then the face of Reformed theology to the watching world becomes uh, th- that exact sort of thing. Instead of knowing what Reformed theology uh, is about, they really just know what Reformed theology is against. Yeah. And that's, I think, harmful to to our tradition and, and to how other people understand it. Yeah, um, and that really gets into the reason that I kind of chose this topic as one that we should talk about is I think that reformed theology has so much good to offer uh, the Christian that it's a real tragedy that our identity is known not for being a joy filled, spirit filled um, theology that promotes communion with God, uh, adoration of Christ living in the power of the Holy Spirit, all of those are Reformed, I mean, they're, they're Christian general ideas, mm-hmm. but the Reformed faith has really good syntheses of mm-hmm. those doctrines that are just so rich, so joy-filled, that it's it's just a shame that we would develop a reputation as being joyless, argumentative, suspicious um, mm-hmm theologians or thinkers or pastors or, or members of churches. And so hmm. um, this this really crept into my mind when 
I was preaching on the fruit of the spirit of goodness. Mm-hmm. And really along that, you have kindness, um, gentleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see with the fruit of the spirit that there's going to be a promotion of what is good, what's, what's pure, um, a joy, again, being one of the fruit of the spirit, a peace. Yeah. And, and so from polemical people, you don't hear joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness. Um, you encounter often the very opposite of those virtues. And mm-hmm. uh, to use maybe a word picture to describe that, I would say the polemical person would be like that gardener who is just obsessed with weeding and yeah, who yeah. plants very little. And so this gardener would maybe be very proud that his plot of dirt has no <laughs> weeds in it, but neither does it have any flowers or vegetables. Yeah. Nothing is growing that is fruitful and good there. <laughs> it's just that the weeds are gone, and that's the only thing the polemicist cares about. Yeah. Um, is is that uh, maybe <laughs> the, the purity of, of the plot or the purity of the... Um, the theology that that we hold without Mm -hmm. any attention to fruitfulness. Yeah. An an illustration that I'll often use is that of white blood cells Mm. or the the T cells uh, where you you have to have some of them to keep a body healthy, but having too much of them is an autoimmune response and the body begins to attack itself Yeah, and bad things begin to happen. And so... This is how I've I've thought of certain movements in the church, the church's history as being sort of white blood cell movements where they are responding and reacting to to problems in the broader body of Christ. Uh, this is where I see the Puritans being extremely helpful mm. in pinpointing problems in the church and putting a laser focus on things. Uh, but sometimes you could say the Puritans maybe have gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think that to totally write them off is not the wrong way or not, not the right way to go. Um, but sometimes Puritans were, and they became known for over being overly critical of certain things in, in the church. Sure. Uh, and I, I think that that's, that's a sort of a picture of mm-hmm. how legalism works. And I'm not saying that all the Puritans are legalists. I'm reformed. I like the, the Puritans <laughs> to an extent, I guess certain Puritans I like more than others. I'll sure. be honest, but that's just sort of my my way of thinking is that there you can go too far and so in a sense we, we need the law right we don't need legalism but we do need some people who are more sensitive to breaking the law and that can help other people um to be a little bit more conscientious in how they live and in, in the same way when, with polemics we do need polemical people people who are willing to engage to to hunker down, to, mm-hmm. to think and to fight even for the faith. To pull those weeds. Uh, but we yeah. also need people, those people too, to, to plant. We need, yeah. we need, we need to be uh, not just known for what we're against, but what we're, we are for. And so this is where we need the, the we need goodness. Uh, I think that it's a really good, good thought that you had then as you studied the, uh, the fruit of the spirit. Uh, if we think about goodness, that should be a fruit and goodness is not just truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just uh, defending the truth. It's it's also shown in what we are for, what we love. It's shown in our joy and our care. And one of the bummers is that people may have heard our polemical episodes, mm-hmm. and then that's all they know. They yeah, sort of sure. write it off. And sure. I hope that that's not only what people are getting, especially for those of you who are who are listening to most episodes. Uh, that you see our, our our joy and our care for the Lord and a love for his people and a love for all people. 
uh, and so on. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tricky. And this we've mentioned in a previous episode because uh, just this idea that where there is mystery um, in life, Satan loves to work in those areas. And so this issue mm-hmm. of polemics does involve some mystery because we we yeah. have to stand on the truth of God's word. We have got to be courageous and we've got to say hard things sometimes. Hmm. Um, and and so Satan wants to use that to make people uh, obsess about only saying hard things and confronting yeah. the culture and being that culture yeah. warrior. Um, and sort of on the flip side, we also need to be compassionate, to be gentle. And mm-hmm. Satan wants to use use that at times to cause people to pull verses of Scripture out mm-hmm. and and say, "Oh, it seems like Jeremiah is going a little too hard there," yeah. or um, yeah. a Jesus even in, in Matthew twenty three, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. Hmm. Um, some very soft, gentle people would be maybe even ashamed of Jesus in Matthew twenty three, yeah. uh, because he's woe to these Pharisees. They are dragging people to hell um that sounds too polemical yeah. for, for a lot of washed tombs right um he's a brood of vipers right he even <laughs> engages in some quite frankly name calling right yeah. there uh and and he does it to call them to repentance to and mm-hmm. some of them do some in the sanhedrin mm-hmm. were christians you know we find in the book of acts later on um but uh I think that's one of the keys to good polemicism, which is really it's a call to repentance. It's a call to mm. come into the life that Christ offers. And where polemics go bad, it's really just judgmentalism um, on its face. And so uh, that really pulls us into our next section that we want to address, which is this question, did Jesus engage in polemics? Mm. Um, our is argumentation is um, not just defending the faith but sort of going on the offensive at times um, against Hmm. uh, bad ideas is that a biblical uh, way of doing ministry Uh, what would what would your sense be for that well to start with the first part of the question did Jesus ever engage in polemics I think as we've now already discussed yes in a sense he did uh, he was not afraid of defending people from the tyranny of a legalistic oppression of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would, he was very, uh, he was very okay with with mm-hmm. stepping in uh, on behalf of those people, yeah. and very uh, ferociously even defending uh, the oppressed. Um, and we could say that that was polemical against certain. Uh, structures and powers mm-hmm. people uh, who were who sort of carried the day in a religious sense with the pharisees and uh with the the, the money changers in the temple mm-hmm. and so we see that sort of thing happening uh, we don't see uh we don't see jesus i, I don't think uh being overly i don't know overly critical he's he's always he's engaging in pol- in polemics mm-hmm. But he's not—he's not all about those polemics. That's yeah. not what his whole ministry is given to. Yeah, yeah. His ministry is is coming to to free people, and where where that brings him into polemical conversations, he engages in them. Uh, but that's not all that he's doing. He he's more about going out 
and into the world and healing people, uh, preaching to people, uh, telling them about the kingdom of God and, and, and sort of revealing the kingdom as he is coming. Uh, I think that's, that's what we see. We see him eating with people, dining yeah. with, with hurting people, um, and showing that there's much cause for celebration, even in, amidst all of the pain that he has come to, to fix. Yeah. As, as you say that, I'm just, it, it's helping me understand the polemical mindset because I think somebody who is, who overdoes it in this area is very argumentative. Um, they meet a person and can only think about how different they are from that person. So, um, the, the polemical person will, will probably just obsess about, (laughs) okay, well you're reformed. Oh, but I'm Christian reformed and you're RCA. Um, okay. You're a Christian. (laughs) Yeah. But you're, um, you're a Methodist and I'm reformed. It's Mm. it's like, um, I, I think that Jesus did not function in that way as he goes to Samaria, as he goes to, um, tax collectors booths and he saw people as people exactly and not as ideas right he's just sort of he's he's welcoming people by grace um especially you know as they repent as they turn from this life people like zacchaeus and um (laughs) the samaritan woman at the well um nicodemus he welcomes to certainly to some extent as he uh, meets with him at night um and they're they're all in these different strata (laughs) and the whole point of engaging with these people is not just just how much different you know and he's just going to convince them to to see things his way it's really a welcoming uh gravitas that jesus has um certainly he engages with each of those people and calls each of them to repentance in different kinds of ways actually um but it's not it's it's not to exert power it's to Mm -hmm. welcome it's it's uh and so I think that as even as Jesus offers his woes in Matthew 23, um, hmm. yes, it is to protect people from the bad teaching of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, but I believe, certainly, it was also to call these Pharisees to repentance. Hmm. It's an invitation. It's not just a chastisement. It's an invitation into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a really key difference for purely polemical people. I don't know if they really want yeah. to convince others as Correct. much as they just want to be proved right. Correct. I, I think what I would say to the person who struggles with being overly polemical is that the Christian faith, in the end, will not be polemical at all. Mm. Polemics are only exist in yeah. order to serve a purpose. Yeah. They are not the purpose. Yeah. Right. So putting it in perspective, then polemics exist to guard the gospel but the real point of that is the gospel the real good thing here is the gospel is the christian faith uh it's the message of of christ's incarnation his death and his resurrection and what he has done uh, to save his people it's not our, our whole point is not going around our whole meaning for existence as christians is not going around and, and getting in fights with people yeah uh, our, our our calling is to proclaim a message now there will be attacks on that message there will be problems that people have with that message and so in that sense polemics will need to to take place we will need to debate we will need to engage we will need to defend the faith that is biblical thinking that's quite clear yeah, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have yeah but the in the end polemics will no longer exist 
uh, sort of like how John Piper once famously said that uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. And so the, the whole point of doing missions is so that people will worship. Mm. In the at the, in the <laughs> eschaton, there will be no more missions. Yeah. Uh, and in the same way, there will be no more polemics. So polemics exists to serve a purpose. It's not the purpose. Uh, and, ev- and if we construe evangelism with polemics, we've we've done something to confuse, I think, what evangelism is. Uh, we've not shared the joy. We've just shared arguments. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to see how worldly the approach of many Christians can be in engaging with this polemical attitude. So, yeah, that's a great um, point. So I listen to a lot of debates. I really love um, the podcast Unbelievable. Um, hmm. I, I go on YouTube fairly regularly, probably almost weekly, and would watch a debate between some atheists and some Christians. And... Um, pretty much invariably the atheist would approach it with a polemical attitude like you are stupid you are believing these old bronze age myths and i am here to prove to you how very stupid your beliefs are like Mm -hmm. that's what i've seen overwhelmingly i would say from the atheist perspective yeah um yeah whereas the good christian apologist uh, will defend the faith will give reasons for our faith but will also do so out of love, I think, and not just love for the person that they're debating, but really love for the Lord. So hmm. um, thinking of oneself, whether this is a pastor, so Zach and I, or just a, a regular lay member of a church, as one who is called to love the Lord and therefore defend the faith and promote hmm. the truth, that's a different starting point yeah. than the person who wants to win the argument. Um, because then that glory goes to me as the smarter person in the debate um, mm-hmm. versus uh, I am like a, I think of a, a good debate where a minister or, or a theologian would approach it and say, I am here because I love Christ. I love his word mm-hmm. and I want you to know it. I want mm-hmm. you to believe these things because my life is full of love, joy, and peace mm-hmm. because of this wonderful truth that I found. Mm-hmm. That is going to frame the debate so differently. And I think that that's where Christians have to go in our maybe at times tense conversations with other people. Hmm. Um, hopefully that would help. I, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners are lay people um, who have theology. You know, They have views on things, and at mm-hmm. times that those views are pushed back against maybe Mm -hmm. even by family members or by people at work to go to those people with a purely polemical attitude is not Mm -hmm. going to be helpful um because you're just going to want to win that argument but to go to them with this attitude of since i love the lord i'm really called to say um no you know you can't say that about christ or you can't use his name as a swear you know something like that Mm -hmm. and then a, a conversation could follow um, but it's really out of love and, and yeah. out of sort of a, a delight in Christ. Um, yeah, I think oftentimes Christians today in our part of the world feel very beleaguered and very mm. belittled. Yeah, and so it feels really good to have those aha mm. moments. And so I can to get remember, back on top. You might yeah, say, yeah, and to to to, to sort of like, you know get a punch in and a fight and really feel like oh man, I really did a good thing. I fought back. A, a few years ago, I, a, a roommate and I 
started following Ben Shapiro, who I have many, many thoughts about. <laughs> um, and I, I, st- I can still appreciate Ben Shapiro. Um, we could maybe talk about that <laughs> a little, little more in another episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we found this YouTube channel that was called Ben Shapiro Thug Life. Oh, yeah. And the whole YouTube channel was Ben Shapiro making like basically roasting people on the spot. And then the sunglasses roll the, the, over. The, yeah, yeah, then the, the sunglasses come down and like the little cigarette coming out of his mouth <laughs> and the golden chain and like some like gangster rap music. And it's sort of like, boom, Ben Shapiro got you. Like he's just knocking people out left yeah. and right with all these. Owning these the great, libs. Yeah, he's owning the libs. <laughs> and it just, you know, you, you feel really good if you're a conservative. You watch that sort of thing and you're like, yeah, get him, stick it to him. And we, we do the same sort of thing in the Christian faith a lot. Mm. Right? And so I, I've seen some really sickening things that Christians have said. Often this sort of stuff comes up way too much online. Mm. The internet is not a great place for these kinds of conversations. Uh, I, I recently watched a video of my, my hometown's town hall meeting about whether or not to do a, to have gay pride flags for the month of June. Mm. And the comment section follow, mm. in this video, the following the live video, we're just people trying to basically yeah, own the libs. That's that's yeah. how it was. The yeah. Bible said so. I believe it. You guys are all a bunch of pervs. God God doesn't like the queers. This sort of thing. And it mm. just that probably felt really good for those people who are posting these sorts of thing, mm. these things. But wow, I just thought this is this is the undoing of of Christianity. People people doing and saying these yeah. sorts of things using these worldly methods. Right. Yeah. And it's, attitudes. It's like going to battle. It's like going to war, uh, trying to fight uh, for Christianity by, by just yeah, sinking down to the level of of worldly people. Yeah, and uh, the Shapiro example is a good one. I mean, if if people are having a hard time understanding what polemicism is, I think that most people would be familiar with people like Sean Hannity, uh, Rachel Maddow, um, mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro. Who, Bill uh, th- yeah, Bill Maher, r- really the representatives of polemicism. I mean, they, um, Bill Bill O'Reilly would maybe be the one yeah. of the best examples, although he's not really in the spotlight anymore. Rush Limbaugh, those are mm-hmm. a lot of conservative names um, with a few more liberal names thrown in. Just these are are people who make a career on argumentation. Um, that yeah. if if people were getting along, if there was peace in our nation that would be very bad for their business. <laughs> and so um, the fires yeah. are stoked. I, I don't want to ascribe sinister motives to each of those people necessarily, sure. um, but uh, at the same time, the result of their work is, is certainly not peace, but is mm-hmm. um, self-righteousness, uh, judgmentalism, um, oh, AOC is so stupid, or mm-hmm. oh, Trump is so dumb, isn't he? You know, from more from the liberal side of things, um, instead of <laughs> a, a real engagement with an idea or an analysis yeah. of like why something is is good or bad. So, hmm. um, some people would say, well, isn't reform the reformed faith inherently polemical? Hmm. Um, after all, we do come from the Reformation, which was a very <laughs> tense theological time yeah uh, it was a, a, a time where there was uh, impassioned debate <laughs> uh, name calling um, sometimes justified name calling blasphemer heretic 
uh, those mm-hmm. names were were fairly used during the Reformation of some really bad teachings and mm-hmm. teachers. Um, but at times, that name calling drifted into just pure insult. Um, there's a yeah. website called the Lutheran Insulter, uh, mm-hmm. which is quite hilarious actually if you want to go to it I don't if you want know some if creative names to yeah. call people it may spot. feed your polemical spirit so if you <laughs> struggle with yeah. that i don't know if the lutheran insulter is the best website for you to go to but um for examples of polemicism uh that is it, it's it's right there uh, just yeah. for those of you who haven't been to the website before it's very basic it's just basically a white page with <laughs> with some ins, an insult on it and then there's a button where you can click insult me again and and so you click the button and and it comes up with another lutheran insult and i would guess there's probably 75 or 80 oh, that, yeah. that it goes it for through a good 10 minutes and yeah not, not and, find a repeat and it's pretty hilarious um <laughs> but uh it it does prompt the question aren't are we as reformed people by nature polemical um, how would you respond to that? That ac- I don't know. Accusation is the right word, but that assertion. Hmm. That is a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't think we are. Of course, I have to say that. <laughs> um, well, to an extent, maybe we are. Right to it to an extent of being uh, of, of being more aware of our theological boundaries than maybe some other right denominations and i think yeah. right from the beginning the reformed the the word reformed is kind of a, an ambiguous <laughs> word yeah and that was because there was a group of christians that really weren't anything else they weren't lutherans they weren't following really the teaching of luther on every point yeah they also weren't following the roman catholic church and they weren't following the anabaptists who are sort of a amalgamation of, of different tendencies and beliefs but they were sort of united in their in their uh, stance against baptizing babies. Um, and so there was this group of reformed Christians. That they would have said that they were reformed Catholics. And so they, they wanted to be known what they were standing up for. And I think you, you read things, you read conformed confessions, and you I don't think you can entirely get the sense that they're known for what they're against. The reformed confessions are not simply negative theology in the sense that they're negating what they think is wrong. They are also positing positive theology. They are saying, here's what we are for. Sure. And so the Belgic Confession is a good example of this. And in, in some places, the Belgic Confession is very polemical, but it's not merely polemical. Uh, the Belgic Confession focuses a lot on building on the, the creedal foundations of the early church and saying we are creedal Catholic Christians standing in this long tradition. Uh, we look back to the, to the church fathers. They, I think it even calls them the Holy Fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could see this sort of reverence for, for what they're for, and you see how this brings them in to direct uh, opposition to things that they would therefore be against with uh, certain early church sort of heresies, so Socinianism, would have been rejected by the Reformed tradition, Anabaptism, Mm -hmm. and at certain points uh, with Lutheranism Lutheranism as well, particularly in regards to the sacraments. And so I I don't think that that it's necessarily polemical, but in order to sort of carve out their position, that there had to be sort of yeses and nos to where they fit uh, within the broader Christian church around them. 
Yeah, the the question that I often have for Reformed people is, what appeals to them about Reformed theology? Is it... That's a great question. This is a great uh, help to me in understanding who God is, because I want to know God. I want to know Christ. I want to know what he's done for me. I want to mine the depths of Scripture, and um, great Reformed theologians help me do that. Hmm. That's a great reason for being Reformed. Yeah. But that's not always the reason that people have for um, moving towards a Reformed hmm. church. And we're going to see that, uh, this is maybe my, my prediction or prophecy, I think we're going to see hmm. that increasingly in the next hmm. um, several decades. Uh, much in the same way that Christian school attracts people hmm. uh, because they're fleeing the world, mm-hmm. I think that the Reformed Church will probably see quite a few people who are just fleeing um, their liberal Lutheran, Episcopal, or Presbyterian church, and um, it's not so much that they want to know Christ and that they love this um, presentation of the nature of God, mm-hmm. but that they are politically conservative and struggle with some of the sort of political kinds of things out in the world, and this seems like a safe place for them to land. Hmm. Um, And those are often going to be the people who are most attractive to the polemical nature of the Reformed, uh, both Reformed history and the Reformed face of the church right now through people like Hmm. uh, Doug Wilson and James White and John MacArthur. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That's sort of why I came into Reformed Hmm. theology. I think... What happened for me was that I was very unsure of a lot of things, and I sort of wanted to sort of baptize my uh, my uncertainty and say that that was a good thing. That Christians should be more unsure, and therefore we should be a little bit more open to cultural movements and and so on. And then I started reading theology, and and then I realized that my uncertainty wasn't something that I should be proud of. Hmm. And so then I wanted to be very certain of everything. And what hmm. I found in Reformed theology early on by reading guys like James White and John MacArthur and Mark Driscoll that I found solid ground to stand on. Um, And I still feel that the Reformed tradition gives me solid ground, but I think I wanted it more out of idolatry than because I I wanted God. And so I've sort of Mm. had to grow from that, from that, I think, unhealthy desire for absolute certainty uh, on every little point of doctrine, and then I could sort of feel, because then I could feel very good about myself. I could hold it over other people, and mm. sort of be very arrogant and proud. Uh, and I would stay, still say I'm very certain, and the Reformed tradition gives me a lot of certainty on things. It makes me feel very confident because mm-hmm. there are there are great men and women who have gone before me whose shoulders I stand on. And then the, having a tradition gives me a lot of ballast. I think. Uh, but I think I've been disabused of that sort of, uh, that sort of certain, that level of certainty where I don't know if creatures can attain mm-hmm. on every, every single matter of doctrine yeah. uh, that I thought originally, if I just read, you know, if I read all of Wayne Grudem's systematic theology textbook, I would have basically all the answers to everything. Like it mm-hmm. just spit them out like a robot. Mm-hmm. And now I, I've learned that's just not how learning is. That's not how any of this is. Uh, and so, well, and the irony there is that Calvin embraced this the mystery of God, oh yeah, so much. Um, oh, he's yeah. he's accused of 
perhaps being overly certain, but um, by people who have not read him, yeah, you, you just read the institutes and you can see um, in, in various places he'll say, like I was just reading on what he said on predestination. He said, at a certain point, we've got to stop. Oh yeah, and, and I don't think we can ask much more questions about election than yeah where god stops talking we stop asking yeah, questions um and and kelvin will openly say that um the canons of dort um make that point in mm-hmm. preaching and in, in teaching on the doctrine of election mm-hmm. and one of the articles of the, of the canons of dort basically says these this theology must be taught with great care with sensitivity mm-hmm. and not with a callous attitude or mm-hmm. um uh, kind of a pride in in um, in our theology because yeah. th- we're we're talking about the mysteries of God here, especially when we're thinking about things like predestination, election, yeah. um, certain matters of reformed doctrine. Those reformed fathers recognized that um, that these are mysteries, and so even they, in their um, in their promotion of the doctrines, which is good, mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to be careful to say. There's mystery here that we should hold to, um, which, which again, that corrects a lot of that. Um, not to criticize him too much, but that Ben Shapiro attitude of mm-hmm. like, I know it all. I've got mm-hmm. all the answers. I've got everything. The puzzle is complete. Yeah. Um, and so, just listen to me, and and uh, you know, you'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that reform theology is one of the best theologies that I've ever encountered at giving people solid ground to stand on while yeah. also saying there is some mystery in this world because <laughs> God's ways are higher than ours. Yeah, don't get cocky. <laughs> right, right. And so maybe along with that, we can start to wrap things up by yeah. uh, asking, what should our approach be today? Um, we recognize that the pendulum does swing from an a argumentative, sinfully argumentative attitude into just a overly permissive what's called antinomian attitude, kind of just um, libertine theology, anything goes. Um, again, to use the gardening analogy, it's like mm. weeds and flowers can grow in that garden and let's mm-hmm. not be so unkind mm-hmm. to pull anything away. Um, so how do we balance uh, sinful argumentation, uh, really a bad critical spirit, with overly permissive thinking? Yeah, uh I think, as we just said with, with what Calvin says, where God speaks, mm-hmm. we listen. Where he stops speaking, we stop asking questions. And so... That's really the point of Job. Knowing of <laughs> knowing with as much certainty as we can possibly know as human creatures what God's word says and standing firm on that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we, that means we must search the scriptures, know the scriptures, be convinced of what the scriptures teach us, mm-hmm. uh, love the scriptures, where, where there's times where we don't quite understand why the scriptures teach a certain thing, we should seek to understand why they, they teach what they do and to be fully convinced in our own minds of what the scriptures say. Uh, we, we need to do that. Uh, but we we also need to realize what mm-hmm. they don't say. Mm-hmm. And we need to realize mm-hmm. that uh, we are creatures and we've, we can try our best to understand it, but we also need to realize that we cannot have comprehensive or exhaustive knowledge of everything and so mm. we should we should take on a, a a tone of humility as well i'm not saying we should take on a tone of of uh 
of, of saying, oh, you know, I don't really know what I believe. We should be, we should know what we believe, but we should also be very humble about it. And I think this is another reason Calvinism is so helpful is that Calvinism is a very humbling mm-hmm. doctrine. Mm-hmm. Anybody who has not been humbled by, by this theology, I'm not sure has quite soaked up this theology, uh, that we we are totally depraved and we are without without God we are in our sin we're unable to do anything good mm. and so we need to be humbled and we need to realize our creatureliness and so that's what I would say is have a have a very strong understanding of what Scripture says and be humble that that would be something I would say to start yeah Scripture knowledge will convince us of what the Bible says, but sometimes we forget the value of knowing what the Bible doesn't say. Mm. So biblical literacy, as biblical literacy grows, people will proclaim what Scripture says, but they'll also grow in their understanding of, well, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how to how to vote in a democratic system if we should lean more towards um, Mm -hmm. some government intervention in different areas of our lives and maybe less government intervention in other areas of our lives. So as biblical literacy grows, Mm -hmm. people would say, well, I don't think that the Bible really addresses this, and so this Mm -hmm. is a debatable matter. Yeah, Um, And so we can be actually less polemical in those areas when we have more knowledge of the Bible. I think that people would often think that more knowledge will sort of lead to more polemicism. Hmm. Um, but I would suggest that more knowledge of Scripture could lead to far less argument argumentativeness hmm. in areas where we recognize this is this is very debatable. You know, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting point. I know that in some of our first episodes, I mentioned um, things like Obamacare, hmm. and um, s- Christians were asserting that this is just the worst thing and it's like i don't i don't know if the bible yeah makes that really sort of thing. really addresses this sort of thing very directly yeah, or or marxism socialism versus capitalism right yeah we can have strong opinions on that and i think we can marshal those from the bible yeah uh, but we can have when we have absolute certainty about about all those things yeah i would say that marxism would be opposed to scripture based i, I would on agree with you having a a like the overall idea of Marxism would would be opposed mm-hmm. to a biblical approach to the world, a sort of a world and life view. And so that is where you could say, wow, knowing what the Bible says, what matters, how this world is, mm-hmm. is made by God, and um, the issue, the fundamental issue being sin, mm-hmm. whereas Marxism presents the fundamental issue being power imbalance, right? And so yeah. when you know the Bible, you can say, okay, this is worth debating. We're going to mm-hmm. get into this issue of Marxism mm-hmm. because it is unbiblical. Yeah. Whereas other government sorts of questions that the Bible doesn't address, we don't have to be as polemical. We don't have to live and die on that hill of um, purely free market capitalism versus yeah. a little bit more government intervention right. in various areas. So um, I, I would suggest that more biblical literacy could lead to less argumentativeness. It hmm. sounds strange, but I think that that could happen. So along with that, yeah. I would say always pay close attention to our tone. Yeah, amen um, to that. We have, um, uh, I don't. maybe it's prideful, but maybe it's helpful to the listener that we've received good feedback from some people who would say, 
the, the tone of this podcast really tries to be um, thoughtful, uh, fairly careful, when, when as much as we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, even when talking about something like women's ordination, we try to present the opposing view um, in a reasonable way, um, even though we disagree with it. Mm-hmm. I think that that tone really should be um, seen in the life of the Christian, both from the pulpit, from in our conversations, um, in what we consume as well. Uh, I think that's maybe one of the biggest factors is we should limit consumption of intensely Hmm. polemical material. Uh, So we've mentioned Shapiro. I have to be a little bit careful because Mm -hmm. I agree with a lot of Ben Shapiro says, but I have to be careful of... um, you know, he will just be insulting towards people. Oh, AOC mm-hmm. is so stupid. She's the stupidest person that you could listen to. And mm-hmm. and it's un- it, the people who listen to her must be so dumb in order to follow. Like, And you get that good feeling, you know. You right. get the serotonin. You get the dopamine right. or whatever. Yeah. And, and you so, think, oh, yeah, get them. Sick them. You know? for, for a moment, I might really like that. Yeah. But that is feeding something very sinful in me. And so right. uh, who, <laughs> each person that might have their favorite polemicist um, but uh, it's probably a lot better for us just to read the Bible in yeah. those moments and to yeah. let God's perfect word correct things and rebuke things um, in our lives and in our culture um, instead of often unregenerate people who are kind of appealing to to our judgmental sinfulness. Yeah, one thing that comes to mind too if we're, as we ask this question of what should our approach be today should always keep in mind what the motivations of our polemics are yeah um, if our polemics are merely to just destroy somebody and feel good about it that's wrong It'd be better not to say <laughs> if anything. you yeah. but looking back to jesus's polemics the, the polemics that come to mind for me jesus is defending certain people mm. he is doing what he's doing for a better cause than just blasting the pharisees and then high-fiving all of his disciples saying look we got him yeah that's not that's not what he's doing at all he he is doing what he does with the pharisees a in order to bring them to repentance and b in order to protect those who they are they are oppressing and hurting um and so we should keep in mind what the motivations are behind our our polemics we should be uh be seeking to defend truth to defend the, the poor and oppressed if that's what we need to be doing uh, we should be 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 mm-hmm. driven by our motivations for the gospel yeah. and for people to come to know Christ. And so that means that when we engage with polemics, we need to do so in a way that is going to uh, bring honor and glory to Christ and is going to it's going to draw people in. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. we don't want to harden hearts uh, mm-hmm. any more than than we than they are already hardened and so we we need to be very careful with how we engage with people not just what we say not just the content of our words but how we do so uh, because we will lose our hearing rightfully so if we if we say one thing but but act in a different manner entirely yeah and the verse that that can bring us sort of to a close is really ephesians 6 verse 12 which is uh, right in the middle of the armor of God um, section of um, Paul's conclusion to the letter to the church in Ephesus. And um, Ephesians 6 verse 12 is, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And hmm. to me, the polemicist obsesses about that struggle. Yeah. Um, somebody who is really argumentative <laughs> just can't let go of there being 
the fact that there are people in this world who don't see things the same way as them. Yeah. Um, that will be the case in this hmm. world. And yes, we should uh, engage such a person with the gospel, drawing hopefully drawing them to Christ through his word. Um, but then Paul says, our struggle isn't fundamentally against those people. Yeah. Uh, but it's against rulers against the authorities against powers of this dark world i think wow. each, all of those actually are references to spiritual warfare that we're engaged in um we are against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and so um that's that's where our battle lies and i would suggest that prayer would need to become more of a part of that argumentative person's life than perhaps it is um hmm. because of the spiritual nature of our struggle. So uh, the polemicist, the debater, who just goes around debating everyone, can Mm -hmm. just focus on study and on filling their mind with facts instead of um, focusing on are they they at rest in the presence of the Lord? Are they Mm -hmm. enjoying worship? Are they really receiving grace from God in times Mm -hmm. of repentance and refreshing? because if that's true, it's going to shape how we then go and engage the sinner, the the person who is not a believer. So, yeah. um, I think that's a perfect verse for us to wrap it up on. Yeah, uh, to see that our yeah that's not our battle. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is is for the sake of the gospel. It's for yeah. people's souls. We we don't want to to hurt people. We want we want <laughs> people to know the love and the grace of Christ that that can be that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so yeah. that's a great, great final thought. Yeah, so we do want to give a, a few shout-outs to listeners who have yeah. contacted us, and we were so encouraged last week um, to receive a handwritten letter and yeah. um, some uh, feedback through Facebook Messenger. Um, so Ainsley in South Carolina and Christina and Simon, um, who are <laughs> unrelated, in the province of Ontario, thank you for your feedback and for... Um, the encouragement that you've given us. It's been great to hear from people far away um, and also people who are right here in Ripon who maybe aren't even a part of our church who listen to the podcast and have appreciated some of the the work that we've done. So, yeah, we, we hope it's been an encouragement yeah. and we hope that it continues to encourage you in your, in your different uh, spheres, wherever mm-hmm. you're, you're located. Um, yeah, and uh, that's the whole point. We we want to continue this, and uh, for the sake of the gospel and for um, people's learning um, of reform mm-hmm. theology, of the goodness of it. But that encouragement that we've gotten from Ainsley, Christina, and Simon has been really helping yeah. us to to say, "Yep, we're going to re up our efforts. We're going to continue this all the way through summer and mm-hmm. into the foreseeable future." So, thank you for that feedback and. Uh, we hope that this conversation has been a blessing to you and yeah. uh, that the Lord will use it um, to enable you and remind you standing firm on the gospel is what we must do, uh, but always doing so with a uh, uh, a desire to love the Lord and love others in our conversation. Amen to that. And as we go, grace and peace be with all of you guys, and we'll be with you next week. All right, bye. Bye.